Well, good morning. Glad to see you all here with your smiling faces and some of your masks. We should all draw smiles on our, outside of our masks so we go around so everyone knows that we have a happy heart um, instead of, you know, kind of having, you know, because you're looking at people's eyes and trying to see, are they smiling? Are they scowling? Are they looking at me? But um, it's, it's good to be here with you. Pastor Joey, thank you for sharing the sacred desk with me. It's one of the reasons why um, I had a little kid ask me, why do you stand behind a podium? And it's because the Word of God is out in front, and it comes between the people and us. And the goal is, is for you to see the Word of God and for me to preach the Word of God. And so I count it a sacred privilege to be here. Pastor Joey, thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at the Word of God as we finish up this series in Ephesians. The Word of the Lord has much to say to us, and as we're coming into the home stretch and the, the, the third section of this book of practical Christian living, the Apostle Paul has a, a way to teach us. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, we read, I'm not going to continue to read it again, Pastor Joey read it through 4, but I'm going to read on from 5 to 9, and then we'll pray, and then I'll kind of share some um, thoughts and means of introduction of the way that this kind of fits together in the practical Christian living. We're talking about follower submission, not leadership subjugation. It's important for us to kind of have that framework as we look at this and what the Apostle Paul wants to say. But beginning in verse 5, continuing in here in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him him. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We pray, Lord God, that it would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, Lord God, that your spirit would take this word and use it as a sharp, powerful, two-edged sword to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. That, Lord God, that we would hear from you today it would not be my words, Lord God, but it would be your words. I would not get in the way, Lord God, for you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. And so this morning, I pray for your grace, Lord God. I pray for your humility, Lord God, for we look to you, and you are God above all, in all, through all. And I pray, Lord God, that you would change us and transform us according to your word. And Lord God, this is a very difficult passage, 
And I pray, Lord God, as we continue on in this study of Ephesians, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are open, and that we would not be hearers of the word only, but we would be doers of your word. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. My dad used to tell me this story growing up um, to get me out of bed and to motivate me and my brothers. I have three brothers. It's the story of the lion and the gazelle. If you've heard it, then humor me. But every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning, a lion wakes up and it knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter whether you are the lion or the gazelle, when the sun comes up, you better start running. Every morning my dad would share this because he wanted to instruct us and teach us of what it was to be um, godly men. And he wanted us to get out of bed and the first thing was, was it was to get us up out of bed in the morning. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to kind of break this down a little bit and kind of talk about the way that this fits in. Last week, Pastor Joey shared on husbands and wives. If you look before at Ephesians chapter 5, now understand this. When the Apostle Paul's writing the book of Ephesians, he's not doing chapters and verses. This is really important because sometimes things are lost when things are cut up. And we view them and, and cut them up. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, you see that the, the Apostle Paul is talking about all Christians in the church of how we're supposed to act. Then he goes on in verse 22 to husbands and wives, okay? Then in chapter 6 verse 1, he deals with children. Now it's Trinitarian in the family that the Apostle Paul is alluding to because he uses a lot of Old Testament Hebrew words that you can find in the Old Testament. And so what I want you to see is when he talks about the husband, then he talks about the wife, and then he talks about the children, it's the threefold purpose of the family that God instituted in that. Now, this is important for you to see because as we talk about this role last week of submission and husbands loving their wives in, in all things, we see that the children play a role in the family unit. And so God, from the beginning, he said, Adam and Eve come together, be fruitful and multiply and inhabit the earth. So let me, let me share this with you a little bit so that you kind of have an understanding of this is you have the father, God, but you have the husband. Then you have the wife, equal in soul, different in role, and she is in a submissive relationship to the husband. Then you have the children, and they're in a submissive relationship to both the husband and the wife, the father and the mother. It's the same way in the Trinity. You have the father, God, you have the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Son is submissive to the Father. Equal in, in Godness, but different in role. Then you have the Holy Spirit, like the children, who is submissive both to the Father, and then you have the Holy Spirit who is submissive both to the Son and to God the Father. 
So when you think of the family unit, it is a, you can look at the Trinity and see the comparison of the way that God set up the family as we were created in the image of God. So the family is a representation of the Trinitarian relationship that God has with himself. And this is important because now the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, the Father is God, all different roles, but one God. The family is one family, but in the submissive relationship, the children are submissive to both the mother and the father, the wife is submissive just to the father, not to the, to the, to the children, and then the father is then is submissive to God himself. So you need to understand that because the Apostle Paul is writing to a very educated people and he's writing this in a very Trinitarian way. And so when we get to chapter 6, verse 1, and the Apostle Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, we need to understand this, that children in regards to their role, it is submissive to both mother and father, husband, wife. So there is a submissive aspect that is to take place. And so the Apostle Paul is kind of teasing out this idea of being submissive to the parents. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write these. There's some, there's some four truths that I want you to understand. Four truths about leaders and followers in their subordinate relationships. Because then he goes from the children in that Trinitarian relationship, then he moves it over to the workplace or the idea of bond servants and masters, and we'll get into that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that because it's going to take a, it would take a long time to unpack. I really want to focus in on the children and the parent relationship. But there's four truths about leaders and followers and subordinate relationships that we need to know. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes, children are subordinate to their parents and must follow. Children are subordinate to their parents and must follow. Now, granted, parents love their children. In fact, I tell my, uh, I, I want my children, I, my wife and I say this all the time, we're pouring out our beauty into our children. The more beautiful my children get, the, the older I get and the older I get, not my wife, but I get, um, and so there's this idea that you're pouring out your wisdom, you're pouring out your knowledge, you're pouring out your beauty as your children are growing, you're pouring out your resources. Kids are expensive. They say it on average, the average American household spends anywhere from twelve to $19,000 a year on their children, each child. That's a lot of money. You know what you could do with $19,000 a year? Have you ever thought about that? And some people spend even more. I mean, all those little, like, club baseball teams, and, you know, because you think your kid's going to make the major leagues, and they're not. And, you know, that all these parents spend on all this stuff. And the reality is this. Like, why? Because you want your children to be great. But the issue is, is if the children are going to be great, they need to obey their parents in the Lord. Now, there's two things that he talks about. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Then he says, honor your father and mother. Now, if children are subordinate to their parents and they must follow, let me define what a child is first. Children are human beings between the ages of womb and puberty. 
or between the developmental period of infancy in the womb and puberty. Children generally have fewer rights and less responsibility than adults. They are classified as unable to make serious decisions and legally must be under the care of their parents or another responsible caregiver. That's a child defined. That's defined. Father's responsibility. When it says, honor your father and mother, what's the father's responsibility? Where it says, fathers, in verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's the father's responsibility? Well, I'm gonna, the apostle Paul is, is basically going back to the Old Testament when he's talking about honor your father and mother, and fathers not provoking your children to wrath. He's talking about the responsibility of fathers, and that the fathers have a responsibility, Children have a responsibility to be subordinate in their relationship to their parents, which means this, that if your parents are providing for you and you're still living at home and there's any dollar or dime that's going to your kids, they should be in an obedient and obedient relationship with their parents. After that, you're free, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But father's responsibility, according to the Jewish law, the Jewish customs from Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus, here's the responsibilities that God has given to fathers. And the apostle Paul was teaching to a heavy Jewish congregation that understood and knew this in Ephesians. But here they are. The father must circumcise sons on the eighth day of life, Genesis 17, 10 through 14. Parents must... Parents may not sacrifice their children. Okay, that's important. Neither to a foreign deity. Leviticus 20, verse 1. Nor to God himself. You don't physically sacrifice your children. Though you want to sometimes, but you don't. It's forbidden. Incest is strictly forbidden for obvious reasons. Leviticus 18, 6 and 7 Parents are responsible for educating their children, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. You are the primary educator of your children, not the universities you send them to, not the schools that you send them to, not the teachers you send them to. The Bible says, fathers, parents, you are responsible for educating your children. Firstborn sons must be redeemed from the priesthood. God's expectation is that all the firstborn sons belong to the Lord. And if you read it in Deuteronomy, in Exodus chapter 13, it talks about the first of everything belongs to the Lord. So the firstborn son belongs to the Lord. And so all of them were automatically signed up for the priesthood so that God could continue and perpetuate the priesthood. Now, you had the Levites, but there was also this idea that the firstborn son belonged to the Lord, and they were to serve the Lord. And you had to pay to redeem them and buy them back from the priesthood. Interesting, huh? It was their responsibility. Firstborn sons must be redeemed for the priesthood. Insults to parents, this is for the children, but the father's responsibility was when the child insults the parents, the father or the mother, he's supposed to exact grave punishment, Leviticus 20, verse 9. And according to, if you read on in Leviticus, basically, if your child continues to live in rebellion, you're supposed to stone him. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, this is what the Hebrew parents were supposed to do. This was the responsibility of the fathers. So when the apostle Paul says, 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that may go well with you, and you will have long life in the land, meaning that if you're in rebellion and you're not honoring your parents, the father's responsibility was to take you before the people, and then the people then and say he's being rebellious, and then the people were supposed to stone him so then they would be dead and they wouldn't live long in the land. See how that works? It's the first commandment with a promise. That was the father's responsibility. Honoring parents is among the Ten Commandments. So the idea is children are to obey their parents. If you have any parent, children today, if you, it, children today are to obey the parents if there's any financial responsibility. And I defined a child, the reason I defined it from infancy to puberty, because that's how the Word of God defines it. From, from, from in the womb to puberty. At the age of 13 in the Hebrew Bible, in the, in the scriptures, the parents have a big party and a big celebration. You guys know what is a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah? And the idea is the child now is responsible for their own sins. And the parents before, up until the age of 13, were responsible for the child's sin. So if the child killed somebody, it was the father who served time for not raising his child and instructing his child in the way they should go. All responsibility for the child's sin up to the age of 13 fell upon the parents. Can you imagine if that was true today, how that would change things? That the parents serve time if the child stole something. It was the father's responsibility. It was the, it was the parents' responsibility to do these things for their children. They were completely and totally responsible, but at the age of 13, they had a huge celebration because at that point, they then were responsible for their own sins, and thus they would enter into, at the age of 13, as responsibility into their trade or their craft, and they would start to be trained and instructed until they were 20. Now, they weren't considered an adult fully in the temple and in the, in the idea of you didn't have to pay a temple tax until you were age of 20 in Leviticus. So from 13 to 20, they're kind of in that in-between stage where they're responsible for their own sins, but yet the church doesn't view them as first-class, normal, parallel people because they don't have to pay a temple tax. They don't have to give money to the things that are going on in the temple. Now, they have to tithe and do those things, but the reality is at the age of 20, once they start paying their temple tax, then all of a sudden there's a different standard but from 13 to 20, they're in this, 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 this trade stage. So parents would have these celebrations. The children were responsible to obey their parents until they were, and at the age of 13, the parents also were no longer financially responsible for their children, technically. It was at that point that they were responsible for their own things. Now, I know we've extended adolescence to about 45 um, in some places because we have some kids that are living in their parents' basement and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, in the Bible, it was 13, man. Will, you should have a full-time job providing for yourself, man. My, that's my 16-year-old. <laughs> I mean, so that's, that's, that's the expectation that the Scripture gives us in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul is communicating this in Ephesians. So what does it mean to honor your parents in the Old Testament? This first commandment with promise. Well, honoring parents is 
among the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 12, Deuteronomy 5, 16. The requirement to show them reverence appears in Leviticus 19, 1 through 3. And let me read that for you. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. So it's an outflow of your holiness it's an outflow of your relationship with God for you to honor your parents. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord. Another translation for the Sabbaths there was that idea of not just the Sabbaths, but also the feasts. It's a time of rest and celebration, but it's... But you shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So the idea was that there was, no, there was no Medicare, Medicaid, there was no Social Security. It was the parents' responsibility to honor their parents and to care for them all the days of their life. I'm, I'm taking, I tell my kids all the time, just know if anything ever happens to your mom or anything happens to me, we're moving in. In fact, let me heard this statistic, 86% of men in retirement homes do not have daughters because daughters are more likely to take their dads in. Isn't that interesting? I'm glad I have two. I'll just go back and forth. But it wasn't the idea of putting them in a retirement home. It wasn't that, that wasn't the idea. The honoring of the parents meant that there was a responsibility, a lifetime responsibility of reverence. And it was based upon the holiness of the individual in the family. See, to obey means to carry out a command as you submit to an authority. And we're learning to obey in submission to God. That God, the more knowledge that God gives us about his word and about himself, the more that we, we, we devour the word of God, the more then we learn to submit to the authority of God and his word. That's the obedience aspect. But as we get older in our relationships... The obedience moves to honoring. The idea is I don't want to do what I don't have to do what they say per se. It's more about honoring them and giving them that reverence that they deserve. Why? Because they're my parents. I was talking to this this uh, this this kid and didn't have a relationship with his dad at all, and his mom, he was a foster kid, and I said what. What, he goes, why do I need to, and his mom and dad kind of re-entered into his life at different times, and, and he says, why do I need to honor my parents? I mean, basically, they, they gave me up, they, they weren't good parents. I mean, what, what do I have to be thankful for from my mom? And I said, well, how about this? She didn't abort you. Why don't you just honor her for that? Once you find something in some way that you can demonstrate Christ to her so that she would come to know Christ. But it's that idea of high respect. To honor someone means high respect, great esteem, regardless of worth. 
regardless of worth. We're to honor our parents regardless of their worth. It's important for us to understand what the Scripture is teaching, what the Apostle Paul's teaching here. So the bottom line, children, is this. Obey your parents until you are financially free or married. Because when the two shall become one flesh, you leave your father and mother. But you honor your parents until they die. So the first one is children are subordinate to their parents and must follow. But the bottom line is obey your parents until you are financially free or married. And then you honor your parents until they die. This is part of your sanctification process. I remember my, my dad and mom took in my grandmother when my grandfather had died. Actually, my grandfather was dying. He was terminally ill, and they moved into my parents' house. At that point, then, my, um, my grandfather died, and then my grandmother lived. And I said, Dad, how's it going? Having Grandma live with you, is it great? He goes, no, living with your mother again is, is really, really hard when you're already established and you have your own ideas, and she still wants to parent you. And he said, once a mom, always a mom, and she probably will never give it up, but she's still trying to parent me. And I said, do you obey her? He goes, no, I honor her. I don't obey her. So I listened to what she says, and I said, thank you. I love you. But this is where God wants us to go. And my, and, and my grandmother was a godly woman, and she, she would say, okay. But that, that was the relationship change. She felt honored until the day she died. Number two, this, fathers have a responsibility to the Lord as a subordinate when they lead. Father, provoke not your children to anger is what the scripture says. This is something that I'm very, um, I have a difficult time with in regards to my own life with my, with my children, especially my son. I, I don't, I, I, I'm very, very hard on him. In fact, his sister said to me, um, you're really, really hard on your brother, on my brother. Why are you so hard on him and you're not as hard on me? And I said, because I think one day your, your brother is going to bear the weight of responsibility and the burden of raising a family, and nobody's going to really want to help him. I mean, in fact, the world has its big guns pointed at fathers. If you don't believe me, just spend a half a day or spend a couple of episodes watching Disney and the way that they caricature the father. He's an idiot. He's a buffoon. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's somebody to mock. No, the world is against fathers. In fact, I heard it said once, everybody has dad issues. Everybody needs counseling for dad issues. And, and, and even the good dads, they don't think they're messing up their kids, but they are. They're going to need counseling one day because everybody has some sort of dad issues. And the way that something's said or the way something communicated. And so I look at this verse and I say, the only way that, that a father cannot provoke his children to anger is supernaturally back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, Do not be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The only way that I cannot provoke my child to wrath is not with wine, that probably would provoke him to wrath, but is with being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's something supernatural. I don't want to provoke my children to wrath. 
But instead, fathers are to do this. What? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice how it says to fathers. Why did the apostle Paul omit mothers? I read some commentaries on this, and, and, and all of them said different things. But the one that I liked the most said this, Mothers are by nature more nurturing than fathers. But God's holding the fathers responsible. One day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for all five of my kids. Everything that I've done and everything that I haven't done. And it's that idea of, did I bring them up in the discipline of the Lord? He says, discipline and instruction. And I want to give you two, I want to give some verses from Proverbs. There's a ton of scripture in Proverbs about instructing your children and about disciplining your children, but I just want to give you a few. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him, Proverbs 13, 24. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from hell. My son, if your heart is wise... My heart, too, will be glad, Proverbs 23, 13 through 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him, Proverbs 22, 15. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart, Proverbs 29, 17. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother, Proverbs 29, 15. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I don't want stupid children. I want them to love discipline. Because if you love discipline, you love knowledge. In fact, the word disciple that was called is the word for discipline, is the root word. It's the same root word. Discipline and disciple, is that of the same? God wants us to discipline. Not provoking with anger, but to discipline. Do you correct and punish your child out of anger and frustration, or you do it according to the power of the Holy Spirit? In Galatians 5.22, exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit, and one of, the, one, of the, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Are you gentle, fathers? This is my failure. Not failure, it's just my weakness. I'm so intense sometimes, and even when I'm disciplined, I'm intense. But if I'm disciplining my children and not provoking them to anger, there's that tension that I have to hold to do it in gentleness and love. I heard a great quote. It said, love... Discipline without love leads to rebellion, and love without discipline leads to apathy. Do you want your kids to be apathetic to the things of God, or do you want your kids to be rebellious to the things of God? Live in those extremes. But discipline with love, and love with discipline. Second, the Apostle Paul says this, bring them up in the nurture and admonition, is what the King James says, or discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does it mean to bring up them in the instruction of the Lord? Whoever ignores instruction, in Proverbs 15, 32 says, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. 
Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. And Proverbs 10.17 says, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects the reproof leads others astray. Now, the Word of God is full of this idea that we are to instruct our children, to discipline our children, to not provoke them. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bottom line, fathers, is this. And I'm speaking and preaching to myself on this. I was very convicted by this. Disciple your children. Disciple them. You ought to disciple your children. It is not not the teacher's job to disciple your children. It is not the church's job to disciple the children. It is not the, the, the... Everyone else to disciple the children. You don't pay children's workers and, and, and pastors and things to disciple your children. No, we're to come alongside you in the biblical community to encourage you and to help you. That's why the, you know the child-parent dedication thing? The idea is it's the church's responsibility to help raise the children. It's the parent's responsibility to raise the children. But they need you. You are the aunts and uncles and the grandparents of godliness. I have some aunts and uncles and grandparents, I mean, well, that, that growing up they were not that godly. Most of the godliness that I saw in my life was based upon, now granted I have godly parents and I had, I had, some, I had some godly grandparents, but granted most of the godliness that I saw and observed in day to day was every Sunday when I was seeing the, the parents and the grandparents that were coming that knew my name. I didn't even know them. And, they're, and I'm running around the church like a crazy man. And my brothers and I are playing tag. And some of them were very kind and disciplined. And it would instruct us. Others just thought we were an annoyance and a burden and we messed everything up. One way I was being discipled and the other way I felt like I was messing everything up. And they didn't really want me. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be the church? Every hole that a child does is an opportunity for another child to make another hole. I'll patch the holes so that they know that they're loved. Because what happens is, and I've talked to young adults all the time, from the ages of 18 to 25, 26, they feel like that growing up in the church, especially the ones that grew up in the church, they feel like that the church didn't want them, didn't like them. I'm just telling you what they felt. And I would have these conversations, and, and, and they, you know, they, love, they love Christ, and they, they're reading the Word, but they just said, I just never felt loved in my own church. And it's important for us as as a church to recognize that we are the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the caretakers of these kids for the next generation. Because they're the pastors, all the little kids that are running around. I remember, I remember my son last Christmas, he was the star 
it was like the star, and they decorate it, and they sing Christmas. You know, they sing the, we, we bring the kids up, and we always sing them at Christmas in one of the services in December. Well, my son, and he dropped a load in his pants, and it smelt so bad. And everybody was just kind of clearing out from him as he was the star in the middle. And I just remember, and I just remember, I remember the worker, he gets off the stage and I high five and I could smell it. I was like, whoa, what a great job, son, woo. And I just remember the child worker, listen to this. I remember the child worker goes, yeah, you did great. Now let's go take care of that little issue. And she was so gracious, and she was so kind, and she went, and she changed him. It was wonderful. My, my son had no idea, didn't feel shame, didn't feel anything. He was just so happy that he was a part of what was going on in the church. It's our responsibility to help that. Fathers, church, discipleship is about the convergence of discipline instruction, and love. And it's, it, it's yes, God's going to hold me accountable for the discipleship that I give to my kids, but let me share something with you. I need your help. I got five kids. I have five kids because I don't want six. And I need your help. And you and, and, and all the other parents here need the help. And it's our responsibility as a church, to, as our kids are learning community, what is biblical community? What it is to follow in the footsteps of the Lord, to be conformed to the image of Christ? This is what we do. Now quickly for time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just blow through this now. Three and four are going to go real fast. Bond servants and masters. Let me give you a quick definition of a bond servant. It's somebody who was a slave that's freed, that sells himself back into submission to his master. So in essence, it's an employee. You're an employee. So I'm going I'm to take it from a modern day thing of employees and followers or bosses and followers. So number three is this. The, fourth, the, the third truth is this. Bond servants are subordinate to their bosses and as followers. Follower is such a dirty word in our day and age, but the reality is this. There are very few leaders that live in autonomy. Everybody follows somebody. Everybody has to submit to someone. The bottom line is this. God placed your boss over you, whether you chose them or not. Submit. As we submit to the Lord, according to Romans 13, as we submit to our boss, we're submitting to God because God is the one that gave us the boss. God is the one that gave us that authority. God is the one who has given us Pastor Joey that we submit to here at Deer Park. He's the authority. Take it up with God if you don't like your boss. Now, all of us, all of us are sinful people, and so they're not going to be perfect. But it's this idea, though, that we are to be subordinate to the bosses as followers. That's what the Apostle Paul says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart, not a sarcastic one or a cutting or biting or demeaning, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Don't be a people pleaser, meaning doing what they want, no matter what they want regardless if it's moral or immoral, but as bondservants of Christ, 
doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Your reward is not going to become in the form of a paycheck sometimes. The reward is going to come from the Lord God himself. Number four, the last truth is this. Bosses have a responsibility to the Lord as a subordinate when they lead. Bosses have a responsibility to the Lord as a subordinate when they lead. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Bottom line is this. God will call you to give an account for your followers, so serve them. You're going to have given account, masters, bosses, for everyone that works for you. And that God sees this. And so stop your threatening, knowing that it is he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. We're all subordinate and a follower of somebody or something. Some just have more people that they're subordinate to than others. But all of us are to be subjected and subjugated to the Lord. We have to be submissive to the Lord. God places authority in our lives to teach us to submit to God. He gives us parents. He gives us bosses to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29. God gives us authority in our lives to teach us to be responsible and to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29. See the theme? Whether you're the gazelle or the lion, when the morning comes, you better start running. Because both, whether you're the gazelle or whether you're the lion, you're going to give an account to God. And God wants to take this opportunity in our lives to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I love what my grandma said. Because I said, Grandma, this is impossible. As I, the more and more I read the Bible, the more and more I thought, this is so hard. I don't think I can do this. And her response was this, it's only the first hundred years of the Christian life that are hard. After that, we have eternity with the Lord. So just recognize, it's only the first hundred years that are hard. If you live past to be a hundred, then it'll be the first hundred and three, hundred and four. God willing, maybe you'll live to be a hundred and twenty. It's only the first hundred years that are hard. After that, we get to be with the Lord forever. So take these hundred years that God has given to us and learn what it is to be submissive to the Lord. Learn what it is to be in right relationship and to understand the relationships that God has us in and that they're not to lord over us but to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth. Thank you that you came to this earth, Jesus, and you died on the cross for our sins, submitting to the Father. Thank you that you bodily rose from the dead. And had you not submitted to the will of the Father, Lord God, we would not have eternal life. But that was your plan. That's who you are. And we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your body. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. And so, Father, help us to follow Christ's example and to submit one to another, to submit 
to you, to submit to our bosses, to obey our parents, and to honor our parents, wherever stage of life we're in, Lord. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.